Welcome everyone to Science Society and of course a special welcome um, to you Rosa and um, before we start let me give the audience a little bit of uh, introduction and um, so they get to know you a little bit um, before we start. So Dr. Rosa um, Cheeseman, she is a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Oslo in the Department of Psychology. And she did her Bachelor in Human Sciences at the University of Oxford. And uh, then she was a research assistant at the Twins Early Development Study in King's College, London. And then she did her Master's in Social Genetic and Development Psychiatry at King's College, London. And then after that, she did her PhD in Behavioral Genetics um, with the thesis title Leveraging Family Data for Complex Trait Genomics, also at King's College, London. And uh, she won several awards um, already, uh, including the Sir Kenneth Mother Memorial Prize for outstanding performance in quantitative or population genetics at the Genetics Society in 2020, and the Thompson's Award for Outstanding uh, Presentation in Behavior Genetics Association 2020 and several more so this is really impressive you you're you know you're postdoc and you won already all this very impressive award so congratulations um for that and thank you, thank you for coming and before oh. we usually start um we usually ask like a couple of interview questions if that's that's okay with you yeah of course thank you how did you discover that you kind of uh, would like to go into the field of research? Was it like a childhood dream or was it something that came later on, maybe a class or something that happened in your life? Thank you. Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, yeah, well, thanks for the lovely introduction as well, by the way. So, um, but yeah, I think uh, uh, something that really shaped the course of my life was was uh, being an identical twin. So I've had a, um, a, a genetically at least identical person uh, following uh, following me everywhere I go and we're best friends and we've always been asked since we were very, very young questions about, oh, what are your differences? What are your similarities? And um, I think as I grew up, I was, I was genuinely really interested in trying to figure that out and um, and uh, we became part of a twin study um, as soon as we were born, and we started uh, gradually, you know, responding to questionnaires and so on. And then I became aware that twins are such a neat way to study uh, the role of genes and environment. And then uh, I ended up doing really interdisciplinary uh, degrees because I was always just thinking, oh, it can't just be biology, and it can't just be culture, and the family and so on. I, I want to understand how all these things fit together. And I've been really, really lucky to have been supported by various people I've met along the way who've helped me to get into this research field and continue um, interdisciplinary work. So what I'm doing today is very much 
in the same vein as what I've always been really interested in, like why why children are different from each other and how biology works together with the family and school and geography. That's really interesting. Um, that's uh, wonderful to hear that you had so many positive experiences and then um, had a lot of support to go um, to pursue kind of your uh, passion or, um, you know, genuine interest. I, I think um, that's, that's really, um, yeah, encouraging to hear and inspiring your story. And um, for this specific project, is there maybe some kind of um, background story around, you know, achievement, success, why how that um, study came about and and why you you kind of worked in this you know for this specific project thank you yeah uh, that's a really good question i think there are two key kind of motivations for why i'm interested in achievement and and one is that um even though it's not the be all and end all of of uh of how how well kids are doing like well, mental health and so on is also extremely important but achievement really um achievement in school is correlated with so many later life life outcomes and i think that uh kids who who do well at school do tend to be uh, healthier and happier and and everything in later life so there's uh it's important to understand uh, the causes of uh, of differences between children and their achievements for that reason. Um, and then secondly, it's a more pragmatic thing whereby um, in Norway we've got such uh, complete data from the administrative registers about achievements. So it's a lot easier to do a massive scale study on achievement than it is to do on something like mental health, which is... Um, quite difficult to measure accurately and usually measurements are only available in um, quite small samples of, of kids. So there is a lot of really good research on mental health going on um, and uh, we're doing a lot of that in my group at the Promenta Centre in um, uh, in the University of Oslo. But, but yeah, achievement is what we focused on here, seeing as it's such a core um, aspect of child development and and f facilitated by register data. Oh yeah, that's that's really interesting. I'm glad I asked you this question because that's a really good point that there is so much more data about achievement than you can kind of um, deduct that it has to also lead on to do with mental health and health in general. So. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that story and for sharing your personal story also um, that leads us now to this presentation. So um, the stage is yours and everyone, the presentation is um, pinned on top of the room. Feel free to access it. And um, yeah, thank you, Rose, Rose, Rosa, sorry. <laughs> oh, thanks very much um, for the interesting questions. That that uh, leads me really nicely into the talk. So I do recommend uh, opening up the slides because I'm going to heavily base it on uh, on different pictures and so on um, to help 
um, explain what's going on here. So uh, on the first slide you'll see the title. Uh, I'm going to present an interdisciplinary study where we've really tried to comprehensively tackle the question of why are, why are children different in, in their achievement at school? So we have um, investigated genetics, schools, residential areas, and really crucially, how these factors are interdependent. So the main message of this talk is going to be that um, it's particularly important when we're doing research on the effects of schools to factor in genetics, and also vice versa. We can't just do genetic uh, analyses of school achievement without uh, taking into account the actual educational context that children are spending every day in, which is their school. So um, on the second slide, I've put in this uh, nice uh, model called the Bronfenbrenner bioecological model. And this is uh, a model that a lot of psychologists use to kind of um, show how all these different influences on, on children's development hang together. So for a trait like uh, children's educational learning development, we know that the microsystem in the core is, is very important. Uh, so it's, that includes the actual child's characteristics. They're born with a certain genetic makeup, and we know that that's really important for their school achievement. So we know from a lot of twin studies that about half of the differences between uh, people in the population in their, um, in their academic outcomes are due to genes. So yeah, we've got important role for genes, but then uh, children don't grow up in a vacuum uh, just with their DNA floating around. They're uh, expressing their genetic differences in a context, and that context is family, peers, school, then we've got the broader kind of institutional environment like maybe the uh, the policies of the local region um, are important then we've got the wider culture and the values that people have in that particular geographical area and what's really important about this model that really gives us a grounding for the the study that i'm going to present is that there are these little double-headed arrows going between all these layers so we know that the layers aren't independent but they affect one another. So for example, uh, the key thing I'm talking about today, we could have um, interplay between the child's genetic makeup and their school. We can also have interplay between the wider levels and uh, the school, for example, you know, if there, there's certain uh, municipality or like regional levels that influence school policy. So um, that's uh, the key model. Um, that we're hinging this study on and, and it's important because it, we need to have a full comprehensive picture of the factors affecting achievement and not only just study one factor at a time so that's what we've tried to do here. But uh, so if we go to slide number three um, here's uh, a, a bit of information about what we know about gene environment interactions uh, for children's um, kind of academic and intellectual development. So there's this scar row model, which is talked about a lot in genetics. Uh, it's this uh, finding that uh, genetic effects on IQ are weaker for children who grow up in families that have lower socioeconomic status. So on the figure on the right hand side, you can see that 
As the socioeconomic status of the family on the x-axis, on the horizontal, is increasing, the genetic effect is also increasing. So that's the red line uh, going up and up and up. And the, uh, this has been found in a couple of US data sets. They've seen that uh, children's genes are expressed more when they're in an advantaged environment, whereas if kids grow up in a in a deprived environment, it's uh, the idea is that this deprivation kind of suppresses their ability to express, you know, their individual tendencies. Like basically, um, most of the kids will get similarly low achievement if the environment is not good. Whereas if the environment is good, the genes are expressed and, and make more of a difference. So this is the kind of, this has been the dominant model that we have for how genes and environments interact. But um, as you can kind of already see that this is just about the socioeconomic status of the family and it doesn't really include anything about other types of environments. So if you go on to slide four, uh, I've tried to uh, put forward two key kind of limitations of prior research on gene environment interplay. So um, even though there's a lot of really amazing research on this that's very interesting and policy relevant, we still know very little on uh, the interplay between children's genes and their family and their environments beyond the family. So number one, we've relied on studies of uh, how genetic effects uh, vary between families uh, according to their income and so on. So we've just been focusing on parents instead of all the other aspects of a child life that we know are really important as well. And then the second limitation is that it's so difficult to actually know that the genes and environments are independent of one another. And that's actually a really important uh, thing that we have to establish if we're going to know that they interact. Because if we don't know that the, uh, that the parenting, for example, is independent of the child's genes, then we just can't interpret the finding of an interaction because it could just be that some kids are more likely uh, to be uh, parented by certain types of parents. So we need to tackle uh, both of these uh, limitations if we're going to really have a proper understanding of how children's genes interact with their social environment. So in the fifth slide, uh, I'm showing the cool data that we have in Norway that can basically help us to overcome prior limitations um, in this field. So uh, first on the left hand side I've got there the logo for MOBA which is uh, the short name for the Norwegian Mother Father Child Cohort Study. Um, and so MOBA is this really brilliant pregnancy cohort study um, that have been tracking mothers, fathers and children for uh, quite a few years now and um, at the time that we did this study we had uh, genetic data on 23,000 uh, trios which means sets of mother, father and child. So we had their genetic data and then I'll tell you later uh, what we did with that to create their kind of indices of their propensity for education. So we have the genetics and then in the middle of the fifth slide you can see um, uh, basically uh, the categories of uh, geographical data that we have. We, because we link the MOBA genetics study to uh, Norwegian administrative data or register data, uh, 
we know exactly where all these kids grew up. We know the kind of uh, broad region or municipality. Uh, we know the district within that and we know the fine-grained neighbourhood within that and these are really small um, areas so we're really able to on this fine-grained level figure out where kids are and we know exactly what school they went to as well and we know what uh, their school achievements were um, across different ages so we've got this really rich data um, in Norway and uh, the figure on the right is showing a map of Norway and it's showing the education linked genetics that children have in every kind of Norwegian municipality and the main point of showing this figure was just to tell you how the data that we have actually covers most of Norway so we've got really representative data set here. So going back for a second to discuss the the genetics part so um, I mentioned that we had trios, parent offspring trios with polygenic scores for educational attainment. But what is a polygenic score? So this is um, a measure of an individual's genetic propensity towards a trait or a disease relative to the population. So in this case, we're trying to measure how much does every individual, how much are they predisposed to go far in education, basically. And uh, you can see from this normal uh, curve that uh, these are really continuous measures where most people in the middle of their genetic propensity for education and then there are fewer and fewer people who are in the tails with like really high propensity for education or really low propensity for education and this kind of continuous nature of genetic propensity is due to the fact that there's not a single gene for education as it were it's polygenic which means there are many many genetic variants that are influencing differences between us in our uh, school achievement so um, that's also what uh, we're trying to show here with the three jars so um, each person each of these three people inherit a certain number of these education increasing genes from their parents person one is a little bit lower down the distribution of polygenic scores they've got fewer of these genes in their jar person number three they're higher up in the distribution they've been lucky and inherited from their parents lots of these education increasing genes so the key point here is that there's we've got individual level measures of uh, genetic propensity to education so uh, this next slide number seven that's uh, showing you um, a kind of mapping out of the data that we have. So if you focus on the figure in the middle, we've got the children's uh, genetics and their educational performance. We know also who their parents are and what their parents' polygenic uh, propensity for education is too. And then uh, uh, going beyond the family, we've got these, um, we've got them nested within schools, neighbourhoods, districts and municipalities. So we've got this very neat um, multi-level structure of the data and this might remind you of the Bronfenbrenner model um, that I showed at the beginning. So um, because we have this really nice rich data we're able to get around these difficulties with uh, gene environment interaction research. So on the left hand side uh, I'm bringing up again this uh, typical issue with gene environment interactions that we 
uh, we rely on looking at things to do with the family and kind of ignore what's going on at the school or residential level. But because we have all this Norwegian data, obviously, this means great that we can have a much more comprehensive view of um, how the child's environment is and, and how that potentially interacts with their uh, genes. And uh, so the approach that we took here also avoids actually having to measure specific stuff about the child's environment because we know the actual identifying code of each school for example that they went to we don't need to know all this information about the school we just need to know overall how much is the impact of genes varying between schools so that's what i mean by multi-level modeling and the and the little diagram is showing uh, basically what we're doing in this study so looking at how um, there are all these different regression lines indicating that the eff effect of um, the EAPGS, the Educational Attainment Polygenic Score of Children, um, the effect of that on their achievement depends on the school. So every, every line is a different school and in every school there's a different effect of genes. Hopefully this will become even clearer when I show you uh, the results. Um, and so then moving to the right hand side of slide seven, the, the other kind of limitation of prior gene environment interaction studies is that we've got this complicated interwoven nature of the family environment, the environment that parents select for their kids and the genes that children get, which means that it's so difficult to identify interactions. But the cool thing about knowing the parent's polygenic score as well as the child's polygenic score is that we can create within family polygenic scores, which basically means that we focus on the random uh, part of the child's genome that is passed on uh, randomly conditional on the parent's genome. So when we know the parent's genome, we can control for that and take that away and thus control for um, aspects of parental selection of the environment. Okay, so I'm going to go straight to the results now on slide eight. And I have tried to convey the results in this um, way that builds on how I've explained the methods. So you can see this multi-level structure of the data. And I've now put in bold the line around the school. And what, what I'm trying to uh, show there is that schools were um, were having significant effects on child's on children's achievement. And the key finding was that the the effects of the school aren't really kind of pure independent school effects, but they really depend on who the child is, what the child's genes are saying about them. So in other words, the effect of children's genes is different uh, between schools and the effect of schools uh, depends on children's genes. And I'm going to explain that a bit more in a minute, but first going to slide nine to discuss the uh, geographical findings. So with with the neighbourhood, district and municipality data, we actually could not see much of an effect of those factors at all. So overall, all of these different aspects of the geographical environment of children uh, just really uh, explain so little uh, variation between kids in, in their achievement. 
So obviously these um, environments are really important. For example, we know municipalities are key for setting up um, school policy and funding schools. It's just that we don't find that differences between neighbourhoods and municipalities and so on actually explain differences between kids in their achievement. So, um, and they're not at all interacting with the kids' genes. So really, uh, we're, we're now going to focus on the genetic effects and the school effects. So slide 10 now takes us uh, into a deeper kind of explanation of this interaction that I found between children's genes and their school. And uh, you can see along the x-axis, um, horizontally is the children's EAPGS, their, uh, their own genetic uh, score for their propensity to education. And on the y-axis is their achievement. And every single one of those lines in the middle is a different school. So the main thing to focus on in this figure is that the lines are different. Like there's, there are differences between the schools in the genetic effect. There's variation between schools in genetic effects. And um, what I've done here is colour some of the schools red um, according to where the uh, where the effect of uh, the genetic score on achievement is the lowest. And the funny thing here is that we see that all of those lines are quite high up. So that's telling us that uh, when overall achievement in the school is higher, the effect of the polygenic score is lower. So the R squared of uh, less than 2% is saying that um, in all these schools, the impact of children's genes is less than 2%. And then in contrast to that, these blue schools, in those schools, the impact of genes is quite a lot higher. It's 8%. Um, and uh, all of these lines are actually lower down, which shows that in the schools where genes matter more, overall uh, school performance is lower. So if we go to slide 11, this kind of helps to clarify the finding. Uh, we see that uh, for those... Uh, children, so on the on the x-axis again we have the uh, family uh, controlled education score for the for the child, the child's polygenic score and for kids who are just in the middle of the distribution where zero is, um, on the y-axis the line is really close to zero, it's, it's about uh, two percent so what that's telling us is that school doesn't make much of a difference for those kids, for kids who are an average genetic propensity. And it also doesn't make much of a difference for kids who are high genetic propensity. So where school is really making a difference is for kids who have low genetic propensity to education. Those are the kids who, even though they have similar genotypes, they have similar genetic predisposition, what school they end up in really has something to say about what they what they achieve in school. So the more the genetic predisposition of the child, the less school matters. And the less genetic predisposition of the child, the more school matters. All right, so now uh, moving on to slide number 12. Um, so the finding that I've discussed so far is this kind of um, overall interplay between the child's genetic makeup and their school 
we're we're really seeing that overall schools are varying in how much they kind of magnify the effects of genes but we don't actually know what is it about the schools that uh, that kind of have this effect on um, in relation to children's genes so we tried to explore that by seeing whether uh, these um, four different factors that I've tried to show with pictures on the slide how much those can explain our gene environment interaction so those factors that we tried were kind of the level of education that parents um, parents of children at the school have the, the income uh, of people who send their kids to the school the amount of immigrants in the school the amount of um, income inequality of the people at the school and none of these kind of broad factors could explain the interaction so it seems likely that there's something a bit more uh, specific going on we need more data to figure it out like why the impact of school is so much more prominent for kids with um, with lower polygenic scores and I'll talk about this a bit more in a minute but it's likely to be something to do with the, the way that Norwegian schools vary in the level of support that they give for children who have lower um, chance of success at school. Okay so uh, I'm already um, at the summary of the study so if you look at slide 13 now and the main finding was that we found an interaction between children's education polygenic scores. So these are their individual measures of their genetic propensity for school success. And uh, the effect of that genetic propensity really depended on what school they went to. So um, as I mentioned, this is the opposite to the dominant model of gene environment interaction that we have in the literature, which is called the SCAR-ROW model. And that's uh, because we found that genetics has less of an effect in a more advantageous environment, whereas the SCAR-ROW model shows that genetics has more of an effect um, in uh, advantageous environments, uh, specifically when families have higher income. So that's interesting. We've provided some evidence that it's a different picture in Norway to the US. And then um, the broader kind of implication of this uh, gene environment interaction is that we really can't keep doing these uh, biological and social research in isolation. We really need to consider the actual individuals, the genetic differences between individuals when we're looking at the overall impact of schools. So there's a lot of uh, research in sociology and economics that tries to quantify, well, how much do schools matter? Um, but most of these studies just look at the impact of schools for the average kid. And our results are really showing that if you, if you do that, then you would come to the conclusion that schools don't really matter. But actually, our study is showing that once you look at the differences between the kids themselves, you see that schools make a huge difference, uh, particularly for kids who are low in the distribution of polygenic scores for education. So we're seeing a heterogeneous effect of school. So um, yeah, just to reiterate that, the uh, research on schools should probably start to incorporate information on um, children's individual differences. Um, and 
uh, and vice versa as well. So there's a lot of genetic research on education and it's really becoming clear that uh, the genetic effects, the effect of polygenic scores are so dependent on context. They, they really capture a lot of information about the environments that children are growing up in. So, um, and we've really shown here that uh, genetic propensity for education is not deterministic whatsoever because uh, it really is expressed in, uh, differently in different school environments. So like a child who has a relatively low polygenic propensity for education, if they go to a good school, they can do just as well as other kids who have an average or high genetic propensity for education. So against genetic determinism as always. Um, and then I've also added um, at the bottom of that slide uh, to reiterate, we, we found a gene environment interaction with schools, but not with residential areas. And again, that doesn't mean to say that residential areas aren't important and that they, we shouldn't aim to improve those or invest more in those. It's just that they don't so far in Norway seem to be creating differences between kids in their um, educational performance. So limitations. Uh, there's a really bad limitation here, which is that we're only um, able to study individuals with European ancestries. And these results might not be the same um, if we were able to include everybody in the, in the population. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the future. Um, and then also polygenic scores are really exciting uh, tools for research, but they, they're not perfect. They don't explain the total contribution of, uh, of genetics to education as the sample sizes of uh, molecular genetic studies improve we'll get more and more uh, powerful polygenic scores though and uh, it was clearly enough to be able to capture uh, the interplay between genetics and the environment so um, we're hoping to follow uh, this research up uh, again in the future when we have better genetic predictors and when we have more different genetic predictors not only for educational attainment and that also links to the third limitation that we've really focused on the, the outcome of a school achievement and uh, as we were chatting about before uh, before I started the talk it's so important to also think about other uh, things that kids leave school with like it's not all about um, increasing school performance. We want to also eventually understand um, how schools can can kind of uh, compensate for potential mental health difficulties between children, not just uh, difficulties um, in uh, their kind of cognitive performance and so on. Okay, uh, future directions. I'm looking at slide 15 now. So uh, what I'm most excited about is to try and increase the policy relevance of the, this research by trying to find out why um, the impact of school, so on the y-axis of this plot, um, like why the line goes higher up towards the left of the plot, like why the children with lower polygenic scores do so differently between schools. Is it because some schools in Norway have really good special needs education and some don't? Is it because some schools offer small group instruction, some don't? Is it because 
some schools like have really good teachers who are qualified to help uh, diverse children and and uh, other schools don't we don't really know so um, if you have any suggestions then um, then I'd be really happy to hear what we should do to follow up um, and if we can identify these kind of environmental factors about schools that can lift up the performance of kids with lower polygenic scores those could be really um, useful kind of intervention targets so yeah that brings me to the end i'd like to thank everybody who's joined this uh, call and heard the talk uh, and huge thanks to all my collaborators in oslo um, especially those who have uh, spent years generating this awesome data set uh, with you know rich genetic family school residential information and uh, I also got the chance to collaborate with uh, some sociologists I have more of a genetics background so it was really nice to have these interdisciplinary uh, chats and uh, yeah I'm really happy to respond to any questions that uh, that people have thank you well, thank you so much, Rosa. Um, this um, was really a wonderful presentation and um, it just highlighted um, really, again, how important your work is. And there are a few, I think, pretty groundbreaking results that uh, we theorized about maybe in general, but uh, you show it with like real data. <laughs> so yeah. uh, thank you for sharing that and congratulations for this wonderful work um, thank you yeah and um i think that that your work like the the importance is to show um how um yeah the gene genetic backgrounds for the majority is is really not that important but the school really is and the experience in, in the school um which yeah as you said that's your future step right um which i hope people will listen to and governments will listen to to invest into um schools and design them in a way that that children will have positive experiences i wonder if there's any way to do similar research in in different countries? I know that the U.S. and I was thinking about Germany, maybe France and so on, don't have probably the same amount of data set. Would it still be maybe enough to um, to check if there are similar trends going on? Yeah, that's a really good uh, point. I'd love to see if this kind of finding is replicated in different countries. Um, I would have to find out what kind of data is available in these other countries. Um, I think um, what's a bit unique about this data set is that we have the genetics in the family, which allows us to do um, more kind of um, more sophisticated genetic methods and then we also have you know all these different levels of the environment but um, I'm sure there are um, emerging data sets in different places where where this could be done and I think cross-cultural studies would be so informative like um, 
here in Norway, there's this really specific kind of uh, way of thinking about education and the way they've set up the education. So it's really all about trying to minimize the impact of school. Like um, the idea is that every kid can, has free access to the school and um, every school should be should be the same. There's a lot of um, kind of redistribution of finances to try and ensure that all the schools are um, have the same uh, quality and the same resources. So, um, so I would really imagine that um, that we uh, that we find this interaction here, and it would be even stronger in another place like the UK or the US, where there's. Um, much more variation between schools in uh, the amount of kind of investment and quality and so on. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to test that in the future. So hopefully um, I can figure out how to do that. Maybe somebody in the audience can tell me. Yeah, I, I agree that I would expect other... Um... I would expect maybe other results in in different countries, as you said, Norway, Sweden, Finland have pretty good equality kind of living standards and also pretty high investment in education, and they do pretty yeah. well in in all the the international scoring, the PISA studies, which is really not the case for the US and also for Germany, for example, a lot of kids with immigration background don't do well in schools. Um, and, you know, in the US, uh, the districts um, are vary a lot. Um, so yeah, I would be really interested to see. I think I would theorize that there would be even a shift in the two ends of um, um, of the genetic background and the mm. you know, high achievers and then also low. I'm not sure in which direction they would go, but um, yeah, I would I would yeah. expect to see more extreme um, more extremes also. Yeah, in that's both. interesting that you say that. And um, and you brought up Finland, which I think is an interesting case because they have really similar. Um, yeah values to Norway in, t in terms of being egalitarian free access to education and so on but there's some differences between um, the institutional contexts in Norway and Finland that I think could lead to interesting differences um, in the gene environment interaction results so um, in Norway they really have this uh, idea that kids are all the same they're not just all equal but they're kind of all the same and um, when if children have potential special needs, like it can be quite difficult for them for it to be recognised and followed up on. Um, whereas in Finland, they have a lot more kind of um, uh, fast response to um, any uh, difficulties that arise, and they're more likely to kind of have um, short term. Uh, solutions of trying to get uh, help kids catch up and then bring them back to the class and so on so that that's my um, understanding of it so far anyway I think that it might translate into there being less of a gene environment interaction in in Finland because then they're they're consistently between schools doing more to support kids who might have low apologetic scores whereas in Norway 
even though all this, um, the schools are meant to be the same and equal, there's probably a lot of differences in how kids uh, with early signs of special needs are treated. Um, that, yeah, that would be my speculation anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. And yeah, again, I would assume, for example, Germany has like an education crisis. There are not enough teachers. And um, yeah, that that's the main problem, basically. Mm. So if a lot of school, you know, I grew up in Germany, so even in my time and the shortage of teachers was not as extreme, I had like sometimes half a year, not one subject because the teacher, our teacher um, had then cancer, for example, our main oh. teacher. And um, yeah, there was no way to replace her um, fast enough. And um, yeah, this is even worse right now with, you know, aging of population and so on. So mm. if you don't have then parents that study with you at home or support you, there's no way a kid that is kind of in, in not a supportive environment can catch up. And this has like very long term consequences if you, let's say, don't have math for half a year or something. So. Um, yeah. I I think it would be yeah it would be really interesting to scale your study up to so many countries and districts I I wish there were similar data sets in in other places so but, yeah that's that's such a great idea I think it would be awesome to be a bit more ambitious and um and yeah and then not only say something about how to solve problems um, with the education system in Norway, but like maybe then also even make more general points about what seems to be the best way to support different kinds of kids um, on an institutional kind of level, like with the whole design of the education systems. Yeah, would there be a way to collaborate with an organization like PISA? I mean, if they do all these large scale tests you know how different countries and educational systems are doing maybe yeah they would be, they would be a great partner to team up with and I think yeah. your study is really you know outstanding they should be happy to collaborate with you <laughs> I mean there's the hope right <laughs> oh, thanks I think my head's gonna explode <laughs> but yeah they're They must use a lot of administrative data from all these countries. I think the question is, like, do they also have a lot of individual level data that we can use to understand this specific interplay between who the kids are, their individual differences and the overall school? Um, so, yeah, I guess I need to do some research to find out what's available. Yeah, and if it's not available, maybe... You know, we can you can uh, persuade them to to get the data to collect it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> I'm uh, reading out um, a couple of questions, and then I'll uh, I'll um, I'll welcome Dr. Shah here uh, for her to ask the questions. Um, so, um, how? Uh, Marie, uh, she's asking, how limited is educational attainment as an indicator 
and what are the limitations in using it? Um, that's a good question. So, the, yeah, the outcome that we used is um, we call it school achievement. Um, and it's basically this uh, measure of how well kids are performing in their maths, uh, reading and English skills um, when they're aged between 10 and 14. So I think that they're actually really good measures of school achievement because when you look at the data it's extremely normally distributed like it's really capturing um, a beautifully normally distributed variable in the population where most kids are in the middle and then uh, fewer are in the tails so it's got nice kind of statistical properties and um, we know that it's um, yeah we know it's a good measure of of their skills and in, in terms of the kind of social context um, of Norway these are standardized tests that kind of measure kids skills but it's but um, the tests aren't really used for anything the results are usually not even given to the children and their families um, well that's not quite right it's the then the results are not delivered to the kids and families but they may be used to like monitor how well the school overall is doing but the key thing is that um, these are good variables because they're not like exam results that are really really important for the uh, for the kids um, admission to education or something like that so it's um, there's kind of no way for the kids to study for the tests and um, the tests don't have important implications so it's unlikely that they'll be kind of like really influenced by parents or tutoring or something like that so they are quite good measures of where those kids are at the time in their level of skills for different things so overall i think they're good measures of what we're trying to measure um the broader question that i tried to that i've tried to raise in this talk is that uh, you know do we just want to focus on how well children are achieving at school or i would say that we need to uh, broaden our focus so you know in, in my own studies going forward I'm really hoping I'll be able to uh, use data not only on on achievement outcomes but on um, other types of skills not just their like reading skills and stuff but their uh, social and communication skills and their um, self-regulation and stuff like that so I don't know if that fully answered the question but hopefully got towards um, a richer understanding of what the measure actually is. Yeah, thank you. I think um, that was really um, clear. And um, then one more question I'm reading from the, the chat. Did you look at differences between children with neurological disorders such as ADHD and autism and um, and uh, mental health? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. That's an area I'm really interested in. So um, not in this study specifically, but we've done another study, which is kind of similar, where we've looked at um, how children differ in their ADHD symptoms. So um, ADHD is characterized by symptoms of hyperactivity and um, struggling to pay attention and so on. And it's um, a really interesting kind of candidate for uh, this type of research on 
how schools um, treat different kids differently, right? Because uh, these kind of difficulties with with attention and hyperactivity really loom large at school and um, are often identified at school. And we've actually found a really similar interaction effect where um, kids who have uh, really high levels of inattention and hyperactivity, those kids um, tend to uh, to perform poorly in their school tests but then this really depends on what school they go to so in in some schools they're actually performing a lot worse than other kids who don't have the same difficulties um, but in other schools they perform just as well as the other kids so um, so yes we have started to look at the differences between children in um, in ADHD and we really focus on um, on yeah, individual differences in symptoms rather than um, between like case control diagnoses, and I think that's an important thing to mention because even though it, it is, um, it would be really interesting and informative to know who are the kids who actually have a diagnosis or something. That would introduce quite a lot of difficulties with with the study because there are differences in different areas of, of the country and the rates of diagnosis. So we wouldn't really know if the results were actually biased by these differential diagnoses rather than by something actually to do with um, the school. So, um, so yeah, we're starting to look at ADHD. Um, I don't know about autism yet. Um, I'm really keen to follow this up. And we, we have a PhD student working with us who's looking at um, other mental health problems like depression and anxiety and how um, the, the kind of consequences of those difficulties can be uh, potentially moderated by schools. So yeah, more to come on that. Thanks for the question. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to, um, to that, um, you know, future research. And thank you for that question. That was a really wonderful question. And uh, Dr. Shah, sorry for that you had to wait so long. Um, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. You know that here is very early. Thank you so much, Rosa, for your wonderful research that you just shared with us. And uh, I was just wondering to ask you, you know that right now we are dealing with the exponential technologies and they are somehow accelerating some uh, sort of uh, skills. Also, in the case of the polygenic risk uh, that you just mentioned, if I want to be specific about decision-making, and uh, for example, decision-making is one of those points that I think is important as well as the critical thinking. And I was just wondering what might be your opinion about that, how it can impact, you know. Um, would you mind clarifying the question there? So are you asking how, um, what the impact of polygenic scores will be for decision-making about children? No, poly polygenic, you know, you mentioned they are limited and there are lots of factors involved. So I was just wondering, in the case of the critical thinking and decision making, as long as we are dealing with the artificial intelligence uh, and when we are thinking deeply, 
neural, neural intelligence is different than another kind, which is the swarm intelligence. And I was just wondering if you want to consider this component, decision-making, as a component in between the students. Uh, what is your prediction? And you think that is going to be acentric or is going to be more facilitate and accelerate? Okay, well, thank you very much for the question. I have to say that you're mentioning some concepts that I'm not uh, not very knowledgeable about at all. So um, I might have to turn the, the question on you because, yeah, I'm not really sure uh, what you're getting at there, but potentially um, uh, are you talking about the, the different mechanisms where polygenics differences between children um, affect their education via differences in decision making and things? It can be the case, for example, when we are considering Norway as a low, for example, mm. population in comparison with, for example, United States. So do you mm. think that those factors in combination or in comparison, uh, with, because we know that we cannot measure those kind of things, some, some of the traits, they are measurable. And some of them, they are heritable, as you just mentioned. And I was just wondering, out of your experience and the data that you just gather, you think that it's predictable, for example, in Norway, is considering acceleration in the technology and artificial intelligence. We're going to see more uh, collaboration or acceleration in between the children or students or in comparison with the United States or those kind of things. Yeah, um, that's an interesting thing to think about, the, um, how the children actually interact with each other and that might be influenced by their genetics. Um, that's at least what you're, what, what you're saying made me think about. And I think that, yeah, in, in Norway, there's um, a big uh, culture for uh, children uh, collaborating together and using different types of technology and so on. and. Um, yeah, it's a completely a different institutional context to other places. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I answered your question there. I'd be interested to hear what you so think. So they are not coherent, right? Is whatever you are saying, they are not that much in the same direction with each other. Correct? In Norway. Uh, is what the same direction? Um, in Norway compared to other countries? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think there are a bit there. Yeah, there are certainly big differences which are driven by culture and um, education policy alike. Yeah. I see. There's a lot of pressure on children to be very independent and um, think for themselves, collaborate and be egalitarian, work with other kids and um, not be too competitive or self-driven. Um, so these sort of cultural factors could affect the results here. Um, yeah, because it seems like in the findings that we get, the, uh, the schools where, um, where that are performing really well, everyone's getting good results. Those are the ones where differences between the children are eliminated more. So it's, it seems like what counts as a good environment in Norway is like where the where the differences between kids are minimised and they're more sort of harmonious. Whereas in other countries, it could be more like the they try to 
um, increase differences between kids by like stretching the performance of the of the the ones with more uh, genetic propensity, for example. So I'm assuming it's going to be very hard to find the differences between these clusters that you just mentioned because they are totally different than each other. Yeah, it it will be difficult. We need to try and get some data that's as high quality as possible. So thank you so much, Rosa, for your wonderful talk. Thank you. Thanks for your questions. Yeah, thank you so much for um, yeah for all the questions and for answering um, so many questions of ours and for presenting your wonderful work. I know the hour is up and you probably have more things to do. <laughs> so we're really thankful for the time you took out of your busy schedule uh, to present us here today. And I think it's really important work and I hope that the word gets out there and that policy makers will pay attention to your work and uh yeah whatever we can do to help you <laughs> let us thank know thank you very much well i really appreciate the invitation and getting the chance to discuss my work with you so yeah thanks everyone yeah and um yeah as i said thank you for coming here and asking questions it's always more interesting if people join um and um this brings new aspects um onto the research um our speakers present here so thank you for that and if you like discussions like this follow the club um and the next talk will be about um a blood test that uh, was developed by dr nicolescu who can um, detect biomarkers pretty reliably for anxiety disorders and um, yeah thank you so much rosa i wish you all the best for your future research and um, we will be very curious to follow your work and uh, yeah we wish you all the funding it's such an important um, work so um yeah um keep us updated and i hope we'll hear you one day again thank you thank you all right have a good afternoon bye, bye. everyone i'll close the room in three two one bye everyone thank you